promptly seal the device works properly and release me. I very much doubt it. You see, before you reactivated it, I reversed the polarity of the neutron flow. Realize what will happen. Oh yes. You. Well, I've reversed the polarity of the neutron flow, so the TARDIS should be free of the force field now. So he's reversed the polarity. Keep back. Hello, and welcome to Reversing Polarity, a Doctor Who fan cast where we discuss exactly how gay the Doctor and the Master are in exhaustive <laughs> detail. So it's really lucky for all of you listeners that the Master is actually in the serial this week, so it's semi-relevant. Uh, my name is Rosie, my pronouns are they, them, and I'm cat-sitting this week. Very exciting. Oh my god, I, I saw the cat pictures and I wondered how, how that was going. Um, yeah. My name is Aim, my pronouns are also they, them, and my cat Peter has decided he doesn't like me today. No! So, uh, what serial are we doing this episode, Aim? We're doing The Claws of Axos by Bob Baker and Dave Martin. Yay! Our Which, friends! Our, our friends, friend. Bob and Dave. <laughs> they do sound like people you'd meet down the pub. They really do. The Claws so of Axos is... would be a really good name for a pub. It would. Fuck. Doctor Who pub. Doctor Who pub. We need it. Um, so this is a three Joe and the Unit fam story. Obviously, primarily among the Unit fam, we have one of the Doctor's many husbands, the Brigadier. Yeah. Um, what was your previous knowledge of this serial? Had you seen I it had before? seen it before, but I could not remember a single thing about it. That's um, fair. I watched it two days ago and I don't remember very much about yeah, it. Yeah, there's... Because um, I tried to watch it last week and I just couldn't focus because I was just absolutely burnt out but going back and actually watching it again with a bit more energy and I'm still like okay this is this is questionably paced yeah that's a really um astute way of phrasing it Thank you. <laughs> it's just, um, quest- I... just questionable <laughs> I pride myself on my tact <laughs> all right yeah so had you seen it before we just watched it or is this your first time to I it? had seen it my mum got it as a dvd like ages and ages ago oh, i think yeah, i might have had it on vhs before that she does love three um she has good taste but yeah so i'd watched it and i remembered the tentacle spaghetti aliens um and nothing else like i barely remember that the, that the master is in it um because those yeah, were not he... my priorities when i was watching doctor Who as a child my priorities were like the slices of cucumber that we were eating as a snack and who can oh. blame you there's and a great little like me. I think it's a must be like a production shot of um, John Pertwee and Roger Delgado and the spaghetti monster just like in the industrial <laughs> estate and it's yeah they had to golden. they had to turn down the sex appeal of the photo by putting the spaghetti monster <laughs> <laughs> otherwise it would not be safe for work no 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 too many housewives and house husbands would be fainting over their copies of the Radio <laughs> Times or whatever <laughs> all right shall we get our claws into it. Oh my fucking god. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely, we shall. So in the Claws of Axos, a group of gold-skinned aliens land on Earth and offer wondrous technology in exchange for fuel. The third Doctor, however, isn't fooled, uncovering the Axon's true nature and once again facing his arch-enemy, the Master. Yes! Great pitch on that level. 
It is a very good pitch. Um, I watched this serial with my brother on Friday. Nice. Which is very exciting. He had a great time. He has a media degree. So unlike us, he can actually tell why the direction is, is potentially Amazing. not very good. Oh, he's just turning to me and going, why have they done a crash zoom? Why are they doing so many <laughs> short reverse shots? Uh, my, my media degree is publishing media. So alas, I do not have those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he did, he, did, he did mostly film as far That's as I'm cool. aware. Yeah, so uh, it's a great, it's a very fun premise. I think that if executed slightly better, this would be an all-timer. But unfortunately, too much is going on. Just way too much is going on. And yet simultaneously not enough. Yeah, it's very weird. Like I try and, like I was reading the summary for like episode four, like what did happen? And I could not figure it out. I well, we're going to have fun. Welcome to our show. Enjoy us figuring this out. Yes. Luckily, the they figured it out because their next serial was The Mutants. <laughs> Which <laughs> is... A very good Dump 2 episode. One of the best, I'd say. It's so good! I can't <laughs> I can't believe that it lost to this. <laughs> like, this is good, but also... The Mutants <laughs> is better on every Matrix. It is, except for not having Metric. the master in it. Although, like, but it does Matrix, have Rainbow of Justice, which that is true. It does, that does way. make up for it. That makes up for it a little bit. That's true. <laughs> but yes. Yeah, so uh, episode one, Unit's radar control picks up what they think is a comet on a collision course with Earth. A large, breathing, aquatic-looking creature approaches. It looks horrible. Gooey. Yeah, the script describes it as a pulsating amoebic state, which is horrible i hate it i've realized what it is that my brain was comparing it to because i was watching it and i was like this looks so familiar it looks like one of the evil alien parasite worms from david cronenberg's shivers <laughs> just to get some more cronenberg in on the <laughs> i was podcast. gonna say what's that like six minutes into the recording we've got a cronenberg mention look it, it's relevant because they are horrible, disgusting worms. And it's a horrible, <laughs> disgusting movie that I really don't like. And I say that as someone who quite likes Cronenberg's gooey movies, you know? Like, <laughs> I've enjoyed I've ever gooeyness. seen one. I've enjoyed the, the video drone bit where James Wood gets a tummy, tummy VHS slot, you know? Like, I can... Oh god, I don't... Oh man, I don't know that... I, I mean, I guess The Fly. I guess we can watch The Fly. <laughs> Even though I was explaining it to Ben and Rianne, and I was like, oh, The Fly's great. Jeff Goldblum's dick falls off. And they were like, <laughs> what? <laughs> oh boy. Um, it looks just wet and oozy. And um, it is moving. Yeah, it's quite phallic, and then when it lands, it looks like an asshole. Yep. Um... But yeah, so, just vile. Uh, Mr. Chin, the head of a committee inquiry into unit, is demanding to see papers in relation to the Doctor. Immediate hatred. Immediately took a dislike to this man. It's almost Um, like we don't like anybody who's jingoistic. Yeah, thank you, Bob and Dave. Um, Joe is talking to an American man who has been sent to unit to track down and deal with the Master. I love this American man. (laughs) He has an insanely 70s haircut. He's a very soft boy. Yeah, I also discovered the actor is Welsh. So I think his American accent is actually okay. Considering that he's Welsh, it's an okay American accent. Like, it's clearly not English. Um, (laughs) And some of the vowels are good. Very American if you've never really heard an American accent. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I am enjoying the early establishment that the establishment is... 
bad focusing on the wrong things their priorities are incorrect um yeah the doctor and chin argue with regards to his identification the doctor insists that there is no point in discussing the master so the master escaped at the end of the mind of evil and somehow fixed his tardis which the doctor had previously broken (laughs) so now doctor actually know anything about tardises discuss well he stole i think he stole his dematerialization circuit at some point because he wanted to put it in his tardis and then it didn't work in his tardis because it was incompatible i guess it had like a usb-c connector and his was like a micro usb (laughs) he was Um, still using like a vga cable and he needed some scart leads but he couldn't find them um but no i love this i love i think this is the bit where the doctor is like uh oh god what is it he says yeah my dear mr chin i if i could leave i would if only to get away from people like you it's so good it's so good and your petty obsessions england for the english good heavens man fucking (laughs) so good he's right and he should say it and the brigadier is like you can't shout at him but he does not necessarily disagree with the sentiment Please stop shouting at this important government man. I would like to have funding to shoot more Daleks, please. Um, Chin wants to know who the master is, but Phyla says it is classified. Phyla is the American guy, much to the annoyance of Chin. An alarm goes off and Yates informs the brigadier of the UFO and they rush to the radar rooms. It's good. My my favourite bit here is when they they have like an intercontinental ballistic missile and they just call it the um, ICBM, but they do explain what UFO stands for. Yeah, no, I did manage to kind of... I kind of intuited ICBM because mm. I was like, missile, ballistic missile. <laughs> um, but yeah, UFO was still like a... I think it was kind of a fringe term. Like when we were doing the demons and they had chariots of the gods and that had all the stuff in it. I think that UFO was like 40 and times kind of uh, area. That's my assumption. Ooh, it's um, first appeared in the 50s. Mm. But I don't know if it was like a a common phrase... And who knows, um, maybe the children watching this wouldn't have read the Midditch Cuckoos or ooh, whatever. I've actually got some data for you. It ooh. only reached like its current level of knowledge, I, I mean, when the internet started, because that's when there's more data. Um, but it had a little peak around 62, 63, which would fit with the moon landings. And then again yeah. in the mid-70s. I, I hate to say this to you, Aim, but didn't they land on the moon in 1969? Which reality am I from today? <laughs> <laughs> we've done this before, I swear to God, we've done this before. I'm just convinced it's 63 for some reason. I mean, I've done that before, which is why I frequently... Uh, fr- 63 is when Doctor Who started and Kennedy got so assassinated. So things did happen. Things did happen in 1963, you're right. But yeah, I mean, 62, 63 is probably, like, because Roswell is 47. Yeah. And then I think there was an uptick in sightings of UFOs because of, you know, American And also an uptick in publication stuff. of sci-fi media anyway. Oh, absolutely. That's where you had, so, like, yeah. the magazine uh, area, yeah. We didn't think to research this, but maybe we'll research it in the intervening, like, nine months until this episode goes up. <laughs> <laughs> and we will link it in the show notes. Chin tells the Brigadier that the Ministry wants a unit to be linked up with the Missile Strike Force. So this is, he wants a unit to cooperate with the regular army, because he's from the Ministry of Defence, which does not have any jurisdiction over Which units. I love, as a concept. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, we're going to talk about this later, but unit as a military institution is so, like, not, like, iconographically or whatever, it is not removed at all from the UK army. But in but terms like, of, um, what they actually and how do, they function. Yeah, it's very different, which I find quite interesting. It's like, we're the military, but we're not colonising or enforcing imperialistic ideals, except for sometimes when we kill all the Silurians. But let's not talk about that until later. Yeah, we can get into that one. Yeah. 
Um, unit has scattered all aircraft to avoid the UFO. Chin orders the missile strike. Yates reports they have lost contact with the UFO, and the doctor points out that the warheads need to be destroyed. He says, um, what comes up must come down. <laughs> and he's not wrong. No, he's not wrong. That is basic physics. I think there's also a bit where he rushes to the console and, like, looks at it, and he's like, yeah, I don't fucking know either. Sorry, guys. However, he, ha- like, his, like, velvet cape is everywhere in his frills. He looks very dramatic. It really looks like he's changed outfits in between scenes. I think he's just put his coat on, but it really changes the whole look. And I love it. It's very good. I like to think that, like, Joe and the Doctor go shopping on Carnaby Street or wherever. Oh boy, I need this. (laughs) There we go. I know what I'm going to write for the short trips competition. Yes. Oh man. Very good. Uh... The spaceship has disappeared from the scanner. According to the Doctor, it has probably already landed. Uh, Chin is worried that this hostile force is threatening the power supply because it's landed by a big power complex, a nuclear power complex, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, The Brigadier sends all unit forces to the scene. Chin places himself in charge and Phyla asks where he should go. Chin says that if he doesn't leave, he will have him arrested. (laughs) Yep. I have to wonder who Phyla works for. Obviously, he works for the American government. Is he like CIA? Oh, I thought he was the UN. Is it? No, I thought he was from America okay. specifically. I know he's been sent. I think it's America. Washington DC has sent him to deal with the master okay. or so like must find be, out what's going yeah. on with the master. Um, so yeah, this has reminded me. The power complex that serves all of England has reminded me of the power complex in uh, Fury from the Deep, which also <laughs> serves a large swathe of England. Yeah. Uh, so obviously they're kind of connecting. Was that the um was that actually the case with the UK's power supply in the late sixties, early seventies then? Well I know that um when the minor strikes happened there was a severe power shortage, so they were only running it like a certain number of days a week. But I think there were still regional power stations like there are now. I don't think there was like one massive nuclear power station. Uh, I did learn about this in like my physics GCSE, I think. Physics or something like that. But uh <laughs> Not since That's been, then. It's been a while since then. It's been a while since I did my GCSEs, yeah. <laughs> um, if you know anything about the British power grid, please let us know, especially contemporary to this series. Legitimately interested. Would actually really enjoy knowing. Yes, very cool. We are sponges for knowledge and we yes. love it. I may um, be a very leaky Brit- sponge. The knowledge doesn't stay for yeah. very long, yeah. but the enjoyment is very real. Yes, we appreciate it while we have it. Um, the Brigadier sticks up for him, but Phyla leaves. The Brigadier is very pissed off at Chin from, from the get-go. Understandably. Because Chin is like, they're, they're doing an inquiry into like units' function and utility. And it's like, there are fucking aliens. What do you want from us? We are the one the one organization <laughs> that actually deals with the aliens. Torchwood is off like fucking about with all of the aliens. They're like like sleeping with them. We're actually <laughs> dealing with them. And we're not going to discuss what the Brigadier is doing with one of the aliens. <laughs> I just absolutely love the idea of like 60s, 70s Torchwood literally just being like an alien sex club. Yeah. Obsessed. Well, they all got into they all got into uh smoking weed and attempting the kind of peace, love and reconciliation. And Unit gets all of the aliens who aren't interested in the Torchwood sex club. <laughs> That's where the Yetis have gone off to. The Yetis have gone off to smoke weed with uh, Captain Jack. And everyone else is uh, stuck dealing with the big blobby monsters that want to uh, destroy the entire planet. (laughs) At the same time that this is occurring, a homeless man whose canonical name is Pigbin Josh. What? Mm, That's a choice for a homeless man. Yeah. 
uh, picks through rubbish on a seashore, wading through the debris in a snowy terrain. I don't think it is on a seashore, considering that there's snow. It looks um, like a beach to me. Doesn't look like a beach. I didn't see yeah, any Yeah, like, like a skeg nest type. Like, it kind of reminded me of like a sandbank that you see on like a moor or like oh. um, the downs or something like that. I mean, I don't know for sure where they filmed this. Um, um, but we can find was, out very easily. <laughs> I was very perplexed by the snow. I was very perplexed by the snow. I think they must have just organised the outdoor shoot and then they couldn't reorganise it when it snowed and they were like, well, fuck it. it was I guess it's just snow. Yeah, it was beach in Kent. Oh, God. Yeah. The, there's beaches in, in Kent. Kent by the water. Yeah. I don't know. Doesn't seem beachy to me. So I have only ever lived in the southwest. I grew up in the southwest, so I'm like used to like Plymouth, where there's hundreds of beaches. (laughs) I grew up in the west. Whenever I go anywhere else, and someone's like, "Oh, I never went to the beach growing up," I'm like, "Pardon? I didn't even like going to the beach." (laughs) I grew up in the west midlands, moved to the east midlands, and now I'm in the south midlands. I've never lived near the sea, and it's tragic. Very, very, very sad. sad. I like the water. All right. So we're talking about Pigbin, Pigbin Josh. Uh. He cycles through the snowy landscape until he is disorientated by a bright, bright light and cycles into a river. This is this is the bit that really got Ben. We were watching it and the guy picking through all the rubbish and he picks up this bike and like cheers and holds it over his head. <laughs> he already has a bike. Why does he need a second bike? So the first bike doesn't I get lonely. A... Yeah, maybe he's going to like lash them together to make like a goodies tandem tricycle or whatever. <laughs> Trandom. Um, yeah, when he comes out, he notices he is by the Newton Power Complex. Here, he finds the UFO, which looks... Should we try and paint a picture with our words? Oh boy, um, we can try. So, if you remember the Star Trek, the original series episode, The Doomsday Weapon... Vaguely, um, I'm only just going back to TOS and I'm having a great time. That is, that was why I mentioned it. It's a season two episode. Uh, yeah, it was once bundled on a VHS with Balance of Terror. So those were the first two episodes I ever saw, and it was with the original effects. The original effects, the, the Doomsday Machine is a big papier-mâché worm, wide at the front, narrow at the back, with like a rainbow cave entrance. And it looks okay. The issue with the <laughs> Axon's spaceship, which has the same shape, is that the entrance is this kind of... Um, Iris? Yeah, well, an iris would kind of open in a slightly different way, wouldn't it? Because the iris, like, spins shut. Whereas this is kind of a pucker that, like, opens outwards. Yeah, um, it's very... It looks bad. It, it, yeah. <laughs> it looks bad, is what it does not. It's not something I want to be anywhere near. I would not wander inside. Um, to be fair, he gets taken in by a, a tentacle that, like, latches onto him or whatever. Um, Phyla is in his car listening to the radio to find out where the UFO landed, leading him to find the homeless man's bike nearby. Inside, the homeless man is being analysed. He is ultimately deemed valueless and the disembodied voice says he is to be absorbed, processed and ejected. Fucking hell. Nope. (laughs) No, we don't like that. We don't like that at all. Not even slightly. Phyla examines the UFO. As he sees the unit forces approaching, a tendril grabs him and pulls him inside. Unit sets up camp around the UFO while Phyla is being analysed. He is to be held for further investigation. He's like, you know, I guess he's considered the pinnacle of 70s masculinity. (laughs) He is a soft boy. (laughs) He's a soft boy. He seems sweet and he and Joe seem to get along fairly well, so we have to like him. Yep. Uh... The Brigadier is introduced to Sir George Hardiman, who runs the Newton Power Complex, and Windsor, his head of research. Windsor dissuades the Brigadier from attacking so close to the complex, and Chin says he is called for the artillery. Ooh. <laughs> um, the craft beams a message to the unit ship. Ship? 
HQ, unit, I'd imagine. The unit HQ Camp. saying yeah, saying that they are from Axos and that their fuel systems have been exhausted. They request immediate assistance. The doctor tells Chin that this does not sound like a hostile force. Chin still wants to attack. The doctor says they should go and explore. As the men approach the craft, the hatch opens. Woo! <laughs> Benton reports to Yates that he has found a body. They rush off to investigate and find the body of the tramp. Oh, for goodness sake. Yeah, it glows, it glows, pure white and iridescent. You can't be both pure white and iridescent. I mean, maybe the Axons have figured it out. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I watch a lot of, I say, I watch a lot of uh, like nail polish YouTube and iridescent is a shifting like metallic colour between various colours, like India. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) I think they mean luminous. But, you know, uh, the body disintegrates when Yates touches it. This effect is actually quite good. Yeah, uh, as it goes. Where the face kind of, like, crumbles in on itself. It cuts away immediately so they don't have to do the whole thing. But, you know. It works. It's quite good. What it is, yeah. Yeah. The Doctor and his party explore the craft. Unbeknownst to them, they are being watched. The Doctor is analysed and, hurt, calls for help. Incredible scene. Screaming. Very dramatic. Yeah. Very dramatic. John Pertwee is really having the time of his life with his facial acting. It's great. (laughs) He's just throwing himself into it. It's very good content. Very, very good. Meanwhile, Joe sneaks out. Joe got told to stay put like three different times and every time she went, yes, of course, nodded. And then about two minutes later, pokes her head out and is like, it's time for Joe to sneak out. (laughs) (laughs) I did stay put, just not for very long. I am in love with her. I every time yeah. we have a serial with Joe in, I love her a little bit more. She She's is fantastic. Perfect. Possibly most underrated companion. Um, I think she's the most misunderstood companion, maybe, but I don't mm. know about underrated just because there is like, you know, like Stephen or like um, That's true. Mel. <laughs> Mel deserves better. Like, I think that companions that people dismiss, definitely Joe is on that list, but a lot of them people just don't even think about. And it's like, come on, more, do you more feel thinking this... about Vicky. Think about Vicky. Do you feel Vicky. this much with um, Barbara and Ian? I think the Bob and Ian are appreciated among the people I follow on Twitter. <laughs> I'm I'm still mad about a poll I saw yesterday on Twitter that was like, "Who's the best companion out of these four? Sarah Jane, Jamie, the Brigadier, and Donna." And I was like, "This is a completely unfair selection of four very good companions." <laughs> I voted for the Brigadier after some agonising because I wanted to vote for Jamie and Ben voted for the say. Brigadier. So Jamie I went with the brig. I went. I went with the brig because Ben also voted for the brig, and because we just watched the calls of Axos. Jamie was last in the poll, and I was like, "How fucking dare they? He is a perfect boy." I think because we haven't encountered Sarah Jane yet in our podcast, I'm somewhat biased against the prevailing opinion that she is the best ever. I do really like Sarah Jane. It's um, wild that we've got this far into it and not had a Sarah Jane story. Considering yeah, what's our first Sarah Jane story going to be? It's not for ages, is it? One. Isn't it like episode thirty or something? It's coming oh, up. Boy. Let's have a look. I know we got the Sontaran experiment at some point. Oh yeah, it's going to be the Sontaran experiment. Yep. And then by uh, by you, the same the people who wrote the Claudas of Axos. So nice. Oh time hell there. yeah! It's only a two-parter <laughs> as well. We'll see how they do with the two-parter. <laughs> it's got to be um, quicker than this. Yeah, we say um, half an hour into the recap. Yeah, the party comes across some golden figures who approach them calmly. They say they are from the outer room of the galaxy. Their planet Axos was crippled by a solar flare. They explain that science on Axos has taken an organic path and that the craft they stand in was grown from a single cell. However, their nutrient is exhausted. They wish to stay until their... <laughs> they wish to stay until their nutrition and energy cycle is fully replenished. In return, they will give the people of Earth axonite. 
Axonite is the source mm. of their growth technology and has the ability to absorb, convert, transmit, and program all energy. It is the chameleon of elements and can copy and recreate substances. So it's like the stem cell of nature. That's uh. a really good description. Thank you. Also, it's like a massive con. Like, I'm convinced it's a stone suit <laughs> situation. It's like, we can do frogs. Yeah. And if we can do frogs, they'll believe we can do anything. <laughs> yeah, it does yeah. feel quite um, snake oil salesman. Yeah, yeah, because as a demonstration, the figures inject Axonite into a frog, causing it to expand. <laughs> Which is, again, brilliant CGI. It's so good. Windsor is blown away by this, and Chin says that mankind must have it. Filer has awoken in a small room, trapped under the weight of tendrils. He calls for help and looks up to see that the master is trapped alongside him. <gasps> the boy. Yes. I love it when the master shows up in episode one. He is... And he's not even like in a disguise this time because he's just fucked up. He fucked up. He, he messed fucked up, up real bad. Oh, it's like, oh no, oh no. How am I going to go see my my nemesis boyfriend like this? This is so embarrassing. <laughs> or maybe he got good. himself into that situation precisely because he knew it was the only way to get to his nemesis boyfriend. <laughs> maybe. It's exactly As- what he'd do. Yeah. As Joe continues to look for Phyla, a creature appears. This is the spaghetti monster. Dun, dun, dun. End of episode. So. Oh, boy. uh, This is like, I think it's a fine introduction episode. The issue is that it's, it doesn't set up enough of what happens later. If it was only the stuff that's set up here that pays off later, it would probably be better for it. I think there's also a lot, in the first 10 minutes especially, a lot of like military bureaucracy talk, which doesn't fit with the rest of the theme. Yeah, there's definitely, they're trying to kind of ground it, the Earthbound season, in, hey, the Doctor doesn't have any records whatsoever of his existence. (laughs) Isn't (laughs) this fun? Yeah, nowadays he just whacks out the psychic paper. um, Or she whacks out the psychic paper, although I don't know if she does these days. I haven't watched anything with the psychic paper in a while. And, like, the psychic paper is fine, but it does get overused a little bit. They're like, only super special people can see through the psychic paper. (laughs) It's like... Some people are just quite good at telling when someone is bullshitting them, which is what mostly <laughs> happens in Classic Who. Is yeah. That someone will look at the doctor and go, you're lying to me, you stupid man. <laughs> uh, it's good. It is uh, Yeah. Shall so we? Yeah. Let's go Let's on. Let's do it. Episode two starts with the doctor hearing Joe scream, and he and members of the unit hurry to find her while Chin stays behind, being more concerned about the axonite. Of course he fucking is. Joe yeah. has fainted. The brigadier berates her for following them into the craft. And she tells the unit and the doctor that she heard Phila and saw a creature. The brigadier berates her and it's like, he is concerned for her safety, which I understand. But also, Joe has never listened to a single fucking thing you've said, Brig. What did you expect? <laughs> oh, bless. Um, the Axonites say that she's close to the organic power cells and she must be hallucinating. Ugh. However, Joe's convinced that this isn't the case. The doctor and the, Sir George and the doctor discuss Axonite, and the doctor says he wants to experiment on it in their labs. Phyllis tries to use his gun to break out. The master points out a ganglion on the wall that is the nerve center and explains that if it's hit, it will disorientate. It will disorientate that section of the ship for a while. That is Phyllis a difficult sentence. Thank you, thank you. Phyllis hits it, and they are freed. 
However, not long later, <laughs> the master is recaptured, though he argues that he has upheld his end of the bargain. Ooh. Fuller is also captured and led away to an area called the Replication Sector. I love that they just have a Replication Sector. It's kind of a precursor to the Zygons, I think, yeah. like, as a species. Yeah, I see that. Um, meanwhile, Chin orders everyone out of Unit's mobile HQ and contacts the Ministry. The Minister clearly dislikes Chin. So do I. <laughs> and he is told that he must sort out the current issue or lose his job. Chin agrees to work. Chin agrees with the aliens that the Axonite is to be controlled by Britain. Boo! And they agree to work alongside him as long as it has worldwide distribution. Hmm. Well, they no longer have like you know they don't have the coal mines. They don't have the cotton mm. mills. Um, because of in, he's like, looking for some resource. Yeah, which yeah, you can control and therefore have some sort of power on the global stage. Yeah. I find it interesting the way that this kind of uh, implicitly um, discusses the failings of the British manufacturing industry, uh, mm. by which I mean the leaders of the British manufacturing industry in the 1970s, to the extent that Doctor Who is being like, hey, um, we're going to make a deal with a snake oil salesman because we don't have enough stuff to sell to other countries and it's embarrassing. But you can completely see this happening as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Boris Johnson would definitely. Oh no, do maybe this. he has. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. I mean, I mean, if he did, maybe he would get eaten by the axe. That would be a better fate for everybody. And we, we were it recording would. this in May of 2021, so the yeah. <laughs> vaccine distribution and. What countries yeah, maybe, do and don't have access? It's still incredibly relevant. Maybe when you're listening to this, Boris Johnson will have been eaten by the axons, and we will be so grateful to hear about it. And then somebody <laughs> will point. listen to this episode and say, "Wow, psychics are real." Wow, man! If only they could imagine <laughs> the world before the axon invasion of <laughs> August 2021. <laughs> All hail the Axon um, overlords. We're sorry for making fun of your bad story. <laughs> it's, I mean, the, the the execution is okay, but the plotting yeah, is a mess. I think if, maybe our Axon overlords wanted this to be positive propaganda, but did not understand the way that Earth media works. Yeah, maybe, maybe. maybe. Um, the, Axonite, the Axons hand over a sample of Axonite, and the Axon woman reverts to her true form Ooh. under the eye of Axons or Axos' orders. Yeah, they've got... Axon man, axon woman, axon boy, and axon girl. And it's like, come on, guys. <laughs> I just love like how close axon man sounds to action man. It, yeah. Something about that tickles me. It's very fun. Uh, Chim presents the axonite to the brigadier, who demands that he hands it over, but he refuses until the brigadier pulls his gun on him. Ooh. Mm, the brigadier leads them out. The brigadier leads them all out of the craft into the mobile HQ, where they are faced with the army. Chin explains that the army has taken over and that all of unit are under arrest. Yeah, the brigadier is like, for fuck's sake, Chin, why have you made a deal with these hostile aliens? Yeah. You don't know anything about them. This could be a con. And is this Chin the bit is where like, the Briggs... Gone. No, no, you Is this you the say. bit where the Briggs like, you can't arrest me? What is yeah. that later? Yeah. Uh, I think it comes on where he's like, no, you can't because I'm in power. There's a whole, <laughs> a whole thing. Yeah, they've all been arrested, and so, Brigadier, have you, if you will excuse me. And the Brigadier says, you have no rights. On the contrary, I have every right. You're all under security arrest under the Emergency Powers Act. Whoa. Chin gets the Axonite back, and the Brigadier is put under 24-hour armed guard. Oh, dear. Oh, dear, indeed. As the Doctor is wondering what the link is between the creature and fella in the craft... Filler is going through a process in the replication sector which results in him being duplicated into an identical copy. This is a fun sequence. I like this. I can't kind of... call it. 
As far as I remember, and maybe I'm overblowing this, but there's like a bit <laughs> where he sees himself and I'm like, ooh. That's quite cool. I don't know. That definitely happens later anyway because there's some mm. doubling going. As the doctor is... Uh, what is that bit? Joe explains to the doctor about the homeless man and the fact that his body has now disintegrated. When the doctor speculates about filler, Joe refuses to consider that he might be dead and says they should search the craft. Chin, who has been eavesdropping on this, ignores it, and Joe argues with him until she is arrested, and the Doctor is confined to the lab under the protection of Windsor. Yeah, I think this is the bit where the Doctor is asking her about her what she saw, and she goes, oh, so you believe me? And he's like, of course I believe you, Joe. And you're like, oh! I They're love best friends, actually. It's really sweet. I love them. I love them so much. They are so cute. But you can tell they just have fun working together as well. Yeah, it's so good. It's good so shit. good. The Axonites reveal that they were working with the Master who led <gasps> them to Earth in return for the destruction of the Doctor and all life on Earth. Way to raise the stakes. An Axonite says that in order to get their maximum nutrient value from the Earth, Axonite must circle the world in 72 hours. The Master says he can help with this. However, the Axonites have lost trust in the Master, as he did not tell them that the Doctor was also a Time Lord. I think he said that he was the only one who could give them the secrets of time travel. Yeah, um, which is currently technically still true. Sort of. Yes. Sort the Axonite controller tells the replicated fi- filler to find the Doctor and bring him to the craft. The real filler, who had previously collapsed after <gasps> the duplication process, awakens. He is trapped, but manages to free himself and escape from where he's being held. Windsor's showing the Doctor around his lab. He shows him a light accelerator that he thinks may be the first real step towards time travel. The Doctor, uninterested, says he's already cracked this. (laughs) Windsor is in disbelief as the Doctor offers to show him his TARDIS and and says that he believes the Axonite might fix his ship. Windsor's horrified that the Doctor thinks they should use the expensive light accelerator to analyse the Axonite, saying he intends to do it the old-fashioned way. I absolutely adore that the Doctor just doesn't fuck about when anyone is like, so what's up with you? And he's like, yeah, I'm an exiled alien who's been sent here by my home planet, um, and I'm stuck here until I can find a fucking way off. I'm so (laughs) sick of it here. I want to be able to go on holiday. (laughs) I can't, yeah, I can't blame him. But Yeah. yeah, I enjoy just how he has no tact. He just mm. says it. Yeah. And like, in a way, like I would re- I would prefer he not lie to me. Imagine if he just went, yeah, I'm just some dude. No, you're not. <laughs> you're my boy. Yeah. Elsewhere in the Axonite's ship, the Master pleads for his case for being allowed to help the Axonite cause. They analyse him as having the had they analyze him as having the ability, but are concerned about his motivation and ultimately decide that he can help, but they will retain his TARDIS. <gasps> Filler is nearby and overhears all of this, and as the Master is freed, an alarm goes off alerting the Axonites to the escape of Filler, who sneaks outside and sees a lot of sneaking in this episode. Mm. The Master sneaks out of the craft, spotted only by a unit soldier who he kills. Oh no! Uh, more I mean, of that the Master does kill count. a lot of people. He does. He <laughs> doesn't seem to have moral values no, he mostly has, like, whatever values will suit him for the present yeah. moment. Yeah, very much so. The Master jumps up, the master jumps atop a unit lorry and hypnotises <laughs> the driver. Bit. Hypnotism! Hypnotism, it's so good. He literally jumps onto it from the top of a bridge or something. It's so it's very good. good. And then he sees the, the guy in the, like, the wing mirror of the truck. It's perfect. It's really good shit. Um, and he orders the driver to load the Doctor's TARDIS into the lorry. The Master sneaks into the radio room and tells a soldier to send a message to the UN. Back in Windsor's lab, Windsor is unable to analyse the Axonite. Oh no! The doctor, 
Who could have seen this coming? The Doctor says it is revisiting analysis. I think it's resisting. That makes more sense. The Doctor says it's resisting analysis and that the particle acceleration is the only answer. Offering his TARDIS for the process. The replicated filler suddenly empties the lab and grabs the Doctor. <gasps> he is resistant to the Doctor's attempt to stable him with Venusian Aikido and knocks the Doctor out. Oh my god. It's dramatic. Fight, 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 fight. <laughs> then the real filler enters and tries to shoot his doppelganger, but he is reticent. But he is resistant. The two fight and eventually the replicated filler is forced into the light accelerator and disintegrates. Perfect, 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 perfect fight. It's so good. It's yeah. so good. In, in a sort of episode where there's a lot of standing around and not much happening, it's a nice bit of... Really is, it yeah. It felt very standing around for me, at least. Yeah. The Doctor rouses and tells the Brigadier about the replicated filler. Filler tells them that the Master is involved and that he is set that he has said that the Axonites are scavengers and there is no Axos. The army bus... Bu- <laughs> yeah. Conspiracy time. The army bursts in and say that they have been bugging their conversation. Somehow. somehow. The Doctor is confined to the lab where he decides to use the light accelerator. The Axonite begins to smoke and he records the process. Inside the craft, the creatures are affected and the nutrition cycle has begun pre- prematurely. <gasps> I'm loving your gasps. Everything yeah. is shocking to you today. Everything is so shocking to me. I mean, I have to, I have to spice it up somehow. I was so confused by the nutrition cycle thing. Did we want it to start early? Did we want it to never start? I, I yeah, didn't get no, it. Me neither. That's good for both podcasts. I do not know. <laughs> We're trying to be informative. We are informative. We're informing people of our confusion. That's so true, actually. That's so true. <laughs> Filler knocks out the army guards that are keeping watch of himself, the brigadier, and Joe, freeing them. Joe and Filler look for the doctor and find him in distress. Um, insert a short <gasps> clip of doctor in distress in here. Distress. <laughs> du, 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 this is an du, SOS. Du, 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 du. Doctor in Distress. I don't remember if the rest of it. any of our listeners are not familiar with Doctor in Distress, pause the episode, look it up on YouTube, make sure you get the music video Suffer. version. <laughs> and have a great time. It's it's an interesting one. Musically worthless. Emotionally and, and historically. Culturally. Culturally yeah. important, <laughs> yeah. The Axonite, is being, the Axonite is absorbing the reactor to fuel its growth. Windsor bursts into the lab, furious at the doctor for using his equipment. He tries to open the light accelerator and is electrocuted, his body immediately disintegrating. The doctor realises that everything is made of the same element. The creatures, the craft and the axonite. And he has activated it. Oh no! No! The lab is soon surrounded by membranous creatures formed by the axonite who start to pursue the doctor. Fucking creepy. Hmm. I feel like this is an episode three cliffhanger, not an episode yeah, two cliffhanger. Yeah, I would agree. It's really good, and I love the realisation that it's all one organism. Yeah. Um, which is a really interesting idea for Doctor Who, I think. I would agree, yeah. Yeah. I think they need to do more with it. I want them to do more with it, and I want the axons to come back, goddammit. What I actually kind of want is them to do less things in this episode so they could actually explore that fully and have yeah. it be less confusing. Um, yeah. No matter how much I love clone Filer. Um, <laughs> anything with clones is always going to be a good time though yeah and hypnotism and the master it's 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 overstuffed but in a way i do enjoy all of the stuff that is pushed into it do you want to do you want to take us along to episode three let me take you away uh episode three 
Violet is shot. <laughs> Violet is shot by a tendril from one of the Axonites. They re-energize and repersonalize into the into the golden figures. They hypnotize the Doctor and Joe and take them back to the craft. This sequence is so stupid. It's it's so yeah. like what are they doing? It's not communicating. It's very hard to follow. What does it all mean? The Brigadier is trying to get a message to the UN, but is confused when he is told a similar message has already been sent out. Thank you, Master, mm. for helping out the Brigadier. <laughs> The army guard enters and tells him to hang up the phone, but the brigadier says he should check his orders. Good moment for the brigadier. Yeah. Uh, the tension between the two of them here is yeah. beautiful. It's good. It's gay. It's good. <laughs> uh, if you say so, dear. Um, I do. Sir George, Sir George and Chin run into the lab, and Axonite tells them that Windsor was killed by radiation and that it came to help, but it was too late. It says that if any more unsanctioned experiments take place, they will withdraw their offer. <gasps> oh, no. Which is, you know, that would be extremely sus. It's extremely suspicious to say, no, you can't actually f- know what it is that yeah. we're selling you. Yeah, uh, it's um very... Do you listen to Ono, Ross and Carrie? Uh, occasionally, I enjoy- yes. I-, I feel like this is the sort of thing where they'd be having a good time talking about how the Axons are snake oil salesmen. Yeah, they really do... Uh, I don't know, I watched uh, the new Ask a Mortician about is it legal to mummify your cult leader? I haven't leader. seen that yet. I opened YouTube earlier and saw it. I was like, ooh. Oh, it's is it good. legal to mummify your cult leader? Uh, I think the answer was debatable depending on the state that you're in. Mostly she was Ugh. talking about what the cult did before their leader died. This sounds um, fantastic. Which I was drink lots of colloidal silver, which you shouldn't oh, do. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, done. Joe and Doctor are held by the tendrils in the ship. They're having a very kinky episode. This episode, everybody. It's a lot of bondage going on. Yeah, it's it's very kinky. Um, and as before, it reminds me of the Zygons because they like you know bind people up in their ship and wreck yep. and etc. The army captain tries to tell Chin something, but he won't listen. The Axonite says they don't know where the Doctor and Joe are. They find Phyla in a coma and take him to the medical wing, where he spouts conveniently expository nightmare mumbling. (laughs) (laughs) I love conveniently expository nightmare mumbling. I do not mumble when I'm having a nightmare. I don't know anyone who does. (laughs) I'm sure it happens, but rarely in this convenient a manner. Right, um... The Axons explained that the Axonite was a bait for human greed. Their plan you was for it to spread. Could have seen this coming. Who indeed? Their plan was for it to spread across the planet, and then they can begin their nutrition cycle, consuming every particle of Earth's energy and sucking the planet dry. Ooh, sucking the, minist- the planet dry, eh? Yeah. The Ministry have put the Brigadier back in charge. He sends out unit forces to find the Doctor and Joe. The creatures tell the Doctor they have 72 hours to re-energise. The Doctor thanks Jin for trying to keep the Axonite in Britain. <laughs> I mean... He does say, um, in his, like, small-minded... His small-minded, um, selfishness, he may have saved the planet or whatever. Like, he's not yeah. thanking Chin. He's just noting that it's it was Glad a little bit... useful. Fort- he yeah. could, it would have been preferable if he had simply not made the deal at all, and then there wouldn't be any Axonite out there on the planet's mm-hmm. surface. Um, the Ministry contacts Chin and says that the UN know of the Axonite and want it deployed around the world. Chin is ordered to do this immediately or be sacked. He organises the air transport. <laughs> He's just sat up in his office with his head in his hands like, oh my god. What why? have I got myself into? Why did I do this? Why did I bother to come down to unit this morning? My day has been <laughs> ruined. 
Phil, Filer is in hospital muttering about axonite danger and distribution. Yeah, this is the convenient nightmare muttering. The TARDIS arrives at the Newton Power Complex alongside a figure from the army who tells Yates he is here for a surprise inspection. Perfect. <laughs> you see him from the back and you go, that's the back of Roger, Delgado, Roger Delgado's head. Yep. That's it. And um, he does have an alias here. I thought we were having a master story with him, with him not having like a um, fake identity. And yet, here and he yet. is. He just loves playing dress up. And that's I love that for him. Like, he does it in New Who. He does it in Classic mm-hmm. Who. It's an, an, an important character trait. And it's a defining character trait, I'd say. Yeah. He He's just loves dress it. up. Um, yes, when left alone, it is revealed to be the master in disguise. He heads straight for the lab and enters the TARDIS. Woo! Yeah. He uses, like, a weird device to open the door that's not the key. And it's like, oh, Doctor, you need to improve your security protocols. <laughs> then again, I imagine that might be, like, Time Lord technology, so the Doctor might not have been expecting many people to be able to do that. Yeah, perhaps. Or maybe it's just that he never took the master's entry privileges away when yeah, they broke up. Yeah, that's the most likely explanation. Yeah, it's the only possible explanation um let's see uh the master looks at the butchered tardis console he's like oh my fucking god what has the doctor done <laughs> this is this is pointless this why is has bad. he done this to us it's <laughs> so funny um but yes oh i keep clicking off the tab the doctor is tortured oh god the axonites want the secret of time travel to expand their field range he insists he is not a time lord now this is um perhaps related to the ongoing fandom argument about whether a time lord is a rank or a, or a species mm. um because i think in the eu pre nuhu it was generally accepted that Gallifreyan is the race or species. And Time Lord is the like community or country. Yeah. Or... You have to graduate from the Time Lord Academy to become a Time Lord, I think is the idea. So now that the Doctor Which no longer has his of knowledge of time... He's uh, no longer could, a Time Lord, yeah. he's just a Gallifreyan. Yeah, it could be argued yeah. that that is the case. Whether he's, you know, whether that's his perspective or if he's just lying is another... Is another I took it as a lie. Yeah. I mean, I just thought that was a, an interesting one. I think that mm, he's kind of like, I'm a Time Lord, but can I really claim the title? And also, like, I'm not going to give him the secret of time travel because fuck that. <laughs> um, the Doctor... The, uh, the Master thinks he might get the TARDIS working again. The Doctor refuses to help and is tortured some more. <laughs> um, the Axonites age Joe in front of his eyes and he begs them to stop. This one, the aging process is like, I think the effect is fairly good. Katie Manning looks much better in her I was going to say... Katie Manning has aged like a fine wine. She she has aged beautifully, and she is so She's cute. And we love her. Grandma and yes. absolutely perfect. Yes, in every way, mm-hmm. she is lovely. Um, dun, dun, dun. Uh, he begs them to stop, and he says that he cannot defy the laws of time, but he will show them. They reverse the aging process. The Brigadier wants distribution to stop until they find the Doctor because he's very concerned. <laughs> um, the Axonites refuse and order them to see the state of the distribution. The Doctor telepathically passes on the equation for time travel and the power requirements. They confirm the data, and the Doctor tells them they won't have enough power to facilitate it. The Axonites tell him to add in the power from Newton Power Complex. He realises that will be enough, but says they can't just walk in. They disagree. Whoa! <laughs> Who could Dramatic. have seen this coming? Who could have seen it coming? Chin tells the Axonite that Axonite is... Chin tells the Axon that Axonite is on its way to every major capital city and scientific institution in the world. The Axon receives orders to depersonalize, locate, and enter the main reactor and establish a link to transmit power. It walks out on a confused chin. <laughs> um, yeah, Phyla and tells I watched the Brig- that as a, consu- yeah. as a confused aim. 
that's fair. Phyla tells the Brigadier what actually happened with regards to his clone and Windsor getting pushed and stuff. Lots of drama going on. Mm-hmm. The Brigadier sees the Axe Knight mid-transformation and pursues it. Oh my god, this mid-transformation <laughs> look is so good. It's like the head is wiggly and the rest of the body is fairly normal. It's it's, it's something. You know, I was going to reference the thing again, but just for you, I won't. Oh, you're so kind. <laughs> I watched it again yesterday. <laughs> twice in a week anyway this is what happens when we don't record the podcast for long i just aim is 90 of my impulse control with regards to watching the thing <laughs> so if you don't talk to me about the thing every single week you have to watch it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well this i is watched like it a concerning amount of power you've given me here <laughs> well the thing is that it's a very good film so i'm not gonna mind if i happen to watch it every month <laughs> um but yes, uh, dun 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 dun. He sees the Axon attack and kills three unit soldiers on its way to the reactor. It enters the main furnace. Whoa! Whoa! Um, the Brigadier returns and tells her jaws to check the main reactor. The readings are up, whatever that may mean. <laughs> the Master is thwarted in his attempts to get the TARDIS working. There is no power and no stabilizer. He manages to get the scanner working, which gives him an idea. Ooh. <laughs> We should say at this point, late into the episode summary, we, we this is another one written by a master of uh, words. Um, a champion, if you can already tell. A champion of long-windedness. And we have tried to edit it a bit, but I don't think either of us it, got to episode three. No, I tried. I did <laughs> That's try. That's valid. That's valid. But yeah, uh, it varies. It varies. So uh, Sir George says that if the Axon walked into the reactor, it must be dead. They see the master in the lab. In the lab. He enters the light accelerator. The Brigadier sends for more men and they sneak up on him until he is surrounded. He tries to run, but there is nowhere to go. He is disarmed and handcuffed. He says he wanted to steal the TARDIS to escape. Sir George says that the reactor is about to go critical. Whoa! Oh no. Uh, The Master explains what's happening and offers his services in exchange for freedom. The Brigadier refuses, but Sir George stresses how dangerous an explosion would be. The Brigadier complies. The Master's plan is to stack up power from the light accelerator into the TARDIS, channel it back into the accelerator, and boost the power that the Axonites are expecting back at them in one huge surge. Phyla enters and pulls a gun on the Master. The Brigadier calls him off. This is... It's good. It's so good. I love the 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 switch in um, alliances over the course of the mm. serial. There's a lot of uh, back and forth Moving that parts. I enjoy. Yeah, yeah. And then this is also the source of one of the best master lines. Um, yeah. of all time it's, um, so he says this Hardiman who's one of the uh, soldiers goes what else can we do to like protect themselves <laughs> the master says oh nothing very much uh, I suppose you can take the normal precautions against nuclear blast like um, sticky tape on the windows and that sort of thing and then he just like <laughs> so good he just walks off yeah he's like mm, yeah we're fucked if this doesn't work good luck <laughs> it's good yep. It's good. He's just wonderful. And the chemistry he has with the Brigadier, even when they're not trying to kill each other, is it, very it's fun. It's beautiful. It's very, very good. Um, I'm doctor... very glad that the Master exists. Yes, yes. Um, the Doctor watches as the power builds up and the Axonites prepare to enter the time field. Suddenly, the power supply starts to drop. As the Axonites become disorientated, this Doctor sneaks out. He is briefly caught by the tendrils, but breaks free. There's a lot of getting caught up by tendrils in this series. Yeah, or claws, or... 
Yeah. Um, Whichever. The doctor manages to free Joe. Uh, so George Yay. is having second thoughts about the master's plan but the master tells him he has to take the risk he's ready to pull the switch that will start the surge Philer asks about the doc- doctor and Joe and the master says that they will die the brigadier stops him the master says that either they destroy the axonites or the axonites destroy the world the brigadier walks away and the master pulls the switch ah <laughs> Very tense. Drama. And you just feel for the brigadier on this one, you know? Yeah. You feel. I mean, he's had a bad time with people walking all over his authority since the start. Yeah. He's having a bad, he's having a bad week. Um, The craft rocks and shakes as the Doctor and Joe fall to the ground. Dun, dun, dun. (sighs) Definitely should have just ended with the master pulling the switch. There was no reason for this last scene. It's stupid. Just just put it before he pulls the switch and then end yep. on like his face and then go That would be a much better way to add tension. However. It really would. It really would. Uh, <sighs> but Michael Ferguson didn't think of that, I guess, when he was directing the episode. Yeah. I guess part of it is the editing, but you know. Still, direction plays Shall we part. jump into episode four? Absolutely. My main thoughts on this previous episode were just, there's a lot There's a lot going on that I don't mm. care about. It's the sort of thing when I was saying, oh, this is the next one, um, Joel, my housemate, was saying, oh, that's a six-parter, that's a really long one. <laughs> so I was quite surprised when we finished episode four and it was the end, but also it felt like I'd been there a lot longer. Yeah. So. Yeah. I was just having a great time with Ben. You know, we were chatting, we were watching it. <laughs> um, the cat was coming over from time to time, oh, sniffing Yeah, me. thank you for the cat pictures, by the way. No problem. I'll put some on Twitter. <laughs> very, very beautiful cat. He's asleep on a chair at the moment while oh, I record this. Amazing. Yes. Very, I've got Jodie staring at me and grooming herself yay oh we're just cat Cats, central this episode so good cat city so george reports that the light accelerator is registering well over maximum the master boosts the surge through the tardis the doctor and joe are chased by axonites as they run the floor starts to disintegrate the doctor says they are suffering from electroconvulsions <laughs> as there is an electrical storm in the ship's brain so it's having a seizure Wild. That, that's yeah I, I can only assume so Joe starts to freak out, but the doctor focuses her brain using maths, which I really like. He's just it's getting so her to nice. do simple equations. It's really cute. Just some and they manage maths. to escape. And she knows yeah. nine. She knows one hundred and eight divided by nine pretty immediately, which yeah, is a tricky one. Very impressive. Twelve. Yeah, it is twelve. Yeah, well remembered. Thank you, thank you. The master thinks he has solved everything and goes to leave in the TARDIS. The brigadier stops him. The Axonites <laughs> have reversed the power flow. Oh no, they reversed the polarity. Into- oh no, and are feeding it back into the light accelerator. The Axonites are trying to set about destroying the light accelerator, so George evacuates the accelerator sector and tells the brigadier that he intends on disconnecting the cables alone. The rest watch at- the rest watch in as he attempts to do it. He removes the wires, but in the last minute is thrown across the room due to a huge power surge. Oh, in no. the confusion, the master tries to escape, but is stopped by the doctor. The doctor tells them that the nutrition cycle is still ready to begin. Once it has started, Axos will grow until everything is consumed. The doctor wants to use the lab's computers for some calculations. The brigadier is going to keep watch on the craft. The doctor wants the master's help and says he will use his weapon on him if he needs be. The brigadier sets up a parameter around the craft. Yates places a camera for the brigadier to observe. Chin enters and wants to get in touch with the ministry again. The brigadier blocks him again and tells him that Sir George is dead. (gasps) Filaria is concerned that the master and the doctor are plotting. He is suspicious as to why they have insisted they work alone. 
inside the TARDIS. they need to be gay. They need to go and be gay. <laughs> they just need some time together. Um, which is proven by the next scene inside the TARDIS, where the Doctor confides to the Master that there is no plan, and it's very sweet, very soft. And Yeah, it's it's good. And then they work yeah. together. <laughs> which is always lovely. Is. He says that the Master he says that the Master should mend the TARDIS and that they should both escape and leave Earth to Axos. The Doctor says that if he doesn't help, he will hand him over to Unit and they will all die together. The Doctor leaves the Master to fix the TARDIS while he goes to calculate a course. The ship rises up out of the Earth. Yates and Benton are withdrawn. The Axonites try and stop their withdrawal. Benton drives with some of them and then is forced off the road. The unit forces manage to knock one of them off, but Yates uses a grenade to destroy the vehicle with the Axonites clinging onto it. The Doctor says he's finished his course calculations. Philip asks him where he's going, and the Doctor confirms he's abandoning them. Philip pulls out a gun, but the Doctor disarms him with the Master's gun. (gasps) Everyone else enters, and the Doctor bids them farewell and enters the TARDIS, which is... The drama He just says goodbye to everyone. It is. It's very soap opera And he's just going by saying saying goodbye to everybody. And there's a bit when he he says goodbye to Joe last. He's like, goodbye, Joe. I shall miss you. Very... Very good. Goodbye, Brigadier. And it's like, ah! Give it more significance, you little bastard. That's your friend. I mean, we know that the Doctor is canonically bad at his own feelings. We do know that, actually. That's very true. The Doctor starts the rematerialization process before the TARDIS has entered space-time. He orders the Master outside. The Doctor offers the Axonites an alliance against the Time Lord High Council in exchange for the gift of time travel. The Axonites are gaining entrance to the lab. (sighs) <sighs> okay, I'm back. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. It's a, a very tiring story. A lot happens. Yeah. <laughs> I did stay up late watching Eurovision as well. So Nice. It I was mean, great. I'd, I had a I'd, good I've been boycotting it for like five That's years. Fair. A bolt of electricity comes through the door, which re-energises the light accelerator. It sets about overloading. As the Doctor is fusing the TARDIS to Axos, the Master realises that he has put the TARDIS into a time loop. <gasps> at, <gasps> at the same time... All of the systems between Earth and Axos are disconnected and the nutrition cycle is incomplete. The Master says that the Doctor is committing suicide and taking them all with him as once they enter the time loop, they will never get out. The Axonites enter the lab and set about destroying the unit soldiers. All looks lost. (gasps) Outside, the Axonite ship disappears. Inside the lab, one by one, the Axonites vanish as well. The Doctor is joined by the Axonites in the time loop. He tries to break through to free himself. The Brigadier orders an evacuation of the power complex just in time. The TARDIS dematerializes and the power complex explodes. The Doctor explains what he did to save the world. This is, he struggles. I don't get it. Yeah, <laughs> I understand no, the I concept of a time lost. loop, but I don't know where the axons went. Because they were in the TARDIS and now they're He not. struggles to explain the concept of a time loop to the Brigadier. The Brigadier asks if the Doctor meant to return to Earth. <laughs> the Doctor initially says he did, but when pressed, says that the Time Lords have programmed his TARDIS so that even if he gets it working, he will always return to Earth like a galactic yo-yo. Like a galactic yo-yo, and then it ends and it's it's the best. It's, it's the a best very way. good ending, yeah. To remain in this universe, the creature would have to reverse its polarity. So that was the Claws of Axos. It was. Oh boy. Oh I boy, mean, indeed. I have so little to say about it. I think it's very much like the... It's not objectively bad, and it's no. not inherently problematic in any way and it's not an example of really bad storytelling it's just not very good we haven't really had one yeah. like this where it's just kind of yeah okay. it's, it's like the standard mm. um, trying to think have we done another one where it's just like okay i, I mean think, i think we've definitely done some work on just saying say this it. is bad i hate to say it <laughs> <laughs> it's just okay 
I like I know tracking. it has ni- I know you do, and I know it has Nissa in it, but I think that it has a similar failing as a story. Of... Yeah, it doesn't reach its full potential, but it's yeah. not actively awful. Yes, it just helps that it has Nissa in it. <laughs> Much like this will just help by having the monster. I adore Nissa, but it's also the sort of thing where knowing it was quite a mere episode, I've been looking forward to this recording session because we always have fun playing with what makes it mere and yeah. what we would do better. Yeah. Oh, we could definitely do an improvement. It's like. It almost needs to be a six-parter with more master content earlier, and yet yeah, also or a four-parter with, with less no master. chin. <laughs> so less the chin. writers were original. So this is the master season where the masters in literally yeah, 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 every yeah. fucking episode, which personally I love. I love, um, it. and it's because I think Terence Dix and who else was show running at the time came oh, up God. with the master. Barry Letts. Barry Letts. Barry Letts. They had like a two-day meeting where they just sat there and tried to come up with this foil for the Doctor, this Moriarty-esque character. Yes. And by the end, they were just like so enamoured by their creation that they were like, and now he's in every episode of the show. Deal with it. If the the master is the Moriarty, then which character is the Watson? Is it Brigadier? Is it the Brigadier or is it Joe? Or is it like a mixture? I'd imagine it's a mixture of the two, especially knowing that the companion's also like a changing role. Um, yeah. Because the original plan with um, with the Master was they were going to do a sort of Rack and Back Fools us thing where he ends up sacrificing yeah. himself by throwing himself into a volcano. The final then, game. Honestly. And then Roger Delgado unexpectedly passed away. Yeah. So Very they sadly. couldn't finish it like that. So it's, it's incredibly sad, but it also does mean we get continuing Master content. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, an apple a day keeps the, uh... No, never mind. He is the best. He I is a dapper him. boy. He is so dapper. He is so fun. He has such a twinkle in his eye. He I does. Just... And, like, it's he's just a really, really fun doctor to take you on an adventure every week, you know? Mm. Like, I can imagine growing up with him would have been very fun. The same way that growing up with Tennant and Eccleston and Smith yes. was very fun. Yeah, he has that levity to him and yeah. that... Even when it's perilous, it's never without joy. Yeah, it's just which I think is good. the core of what I like about the show. Yeah, he's always uh, got something up his sleeves. His very lovely lacy sleeves. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. Um, as mentioned, we love his ongoing feud with Chin the serial for being a stupendous mm. idiot and xenophobe. Yeah. Um, always love when the when the Doctor is like, "Hey, um, don't do that. That's bad." <laughs> I just appreciate it. But Rosie, Doctor Who has never Never been political. Never been political, I know. Never been political. (laughs) Never been political. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's it's just... um, And he's good, and obviously uh, he, as we've mentioned, is a very dapper man. He wears great clothes. Um, He's got his classic black like red light red silk lined opera cape mm-hmm. you're like yes he's got the purple lining in episode one as well it's yes. very strong god it's all so good it's all so good you have a note here about some oh, acting I do. yeah there's a bit where they are stuck in the claws of axos yes. and he is giving it his all and i love it and i believe he says we're stuck in the claws of axos it's so good it's it i think it is quintessential doctor who yeah i think that yeah. that's what the story's saving grace is how much heart it has yeah it's it's just very much doctor who like 
there are a few there's it's a story you can point to if someone goes so what was classic who like and you go oh claws of axos is a pretty standard classic doctor who i don't think it's one i'd recommend as like someone who's never seen classic who before but it is yeah i'm saying that it's bog standard classic who where it's like (laughs) there's too much going on the master is there being gay um the doctor and the the companion get into some peril and there's a weird alien race a weird one-off alien race that will never reappear just very enjoyable um except in all the ways that it was not <laughs> and it was a little bit boring in places the doctor was always enjoyable in yes this. he's I think just the point we're making he's just very fun to be around i can imagine mm. him being great like at the pub or yeah, i can see him like going to like a kid's birthday party and entertaining the adults oh my oh my god that would be very fun yeah <laughs> uh so yeah nothing overly remarkable about the doctor other than he was good Indeed, it was, was good. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about his um, his antics this episode when we get to our favourite <laughs> segment. <laughs> I have to go now. Look, if you're going to be in trouble, you'll need me to look after you. Me too. But you right. don't understand. Brigadier is just very on form this episode. This is a quintessential Brigadier <sighs> so episode. Good. Yeah, he is. He has that balance of like narked off with the Doctor while yeah. secretly loving it. Yeah, he's like whilst maintaining you know, authority. Yeah, it's his, he's his best friend and he's very annoyed with him and yet also he's worried about him and he hates yeah. all these bureaucrats messing with his day but in a way that's less like, oh, I can't believe these people have got oversight over me. <laughs> he's more like, yeah. I appreciate the oversight, it's just that you're doing it in a way which is extremely disruptive to the workings of this organisation and also you don't have yeah. any, any jurisdiction. Or any me. idea what we do here. Yeah. He doesn't even seem to know that there's aliens. They're like, oh, hey, um, we want to talk about the master and Chin's like, oh, okay. And Father's like, unfortunately, sir, you don't have the clearance to talk about this. <laughs> Like, it's not even good. the ministry liaison has enough power to talk about the master. It's a gaze Which only Which is actually event. kind of funny. Yeah. Talking about the master More is gaze only. <laughs> and Chin is very much not. Very much not, no. Um, but yeah, he's just good. He gets to do a lot of running around and shouting at people. And, you know, Nicholas Courtney mm. is just very good. Like, every episode, yeah. he's so good at embodying this particular type I of character. I think that's actually one of the strengths of, like, Earthbound 2 and 3 is how much you get to develop these relationships and these characters you have around. Not yeah. necessarily in the, like, traditional companion role. Yeah, the regular but cast. But as a supporting cast, yeah. I think that that's something that New Who is struggling with because that's what most television nowadays does. It has the recurring, like, ensemble cast. But Doctor yeah, Who I mean, isn't really built of... in that mode, so it's kind of having trouble yeah. with balancing the companions and the Doctor and also having a wider supporting cast. What I'd sort cast. of compare it to is 90s Trek and yeah. how DS9 really benefited from being statutory compared to every yeah. other Trek show, which was by nature... You had your set cast, which granted is bigger than a set cast of Doctor Who, but you yeah. very rarely had recurring, or at least very rarely commonly recurring characters. Yeah, which I think, as I say, like with New Who, they keep returning to Earth far more frequently than Classic mm. Who did because they want to build up that external supporting cast. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't quite work. And you're like, I, I love think it this. Works. And I, lo- I want to be clear, sometimes I talk down on it, I love New Who as well. Like, New yeah. Who's good. It's just that I think that the the aims that it has are more difficult to fulfil because shows like Classic Who don't really exist anymore. I would actually um, counter you and say that it worked really well in seasons one and two of New Who with Rose yeah. and oh, yeah, Jackie Rose's and Mickey. Worked, that yeah. really worked. Every single time they've tried to replicate it, something's been off. Yeah. Like, even with I think Martha, they just need to check completely... Martha and her family, yeah. where her mum just hates did, the Doctor. Yeah. Understandably, though. Yeah. 
I mean, um, doesn't she mostly hate the Doctor because the Master told her She's to? not fond of him before that, from what I recall. I don't remember. Mainly because her daughter has just disappeared from her hospital job to go and travel the universe with this bloke. Yeah, That's what I recall. But... I don't know. It's been a while since I watched the Lazarus experiment, which is the one where they established <laughs> oh, that. Oh boy. I think it's sort of what works when they try it with Donna is they have Turn Left, which is yeah. this incredible episode um with the alternate timeline if donna had made one different decision she never would have met the doctor and everything would have gone to shit and that's yeah. a really interesting way to develop your secondary cast yeah what i wonder but you is can't do that all the time yeah because with the new series they've done a couple of like demons of the punjab they go back to yaz's flat mm. and they spend some time establishing it i don't know that the episode is stronger for it or if it would be equally as strong without quite as much setup like the way that they're trying to link everything to different i would agree i think there's a lot of like signposting that it doesn't need especially because we're trying to get a whole story in 45 minutes yeah that story would be important classic who has a lot more breathing space that story would have been important even without it being yaz's grandma or whatever I don't know. Definitely. I don't know. Chibnall, listen to our podcast for incoherent thoughts about character progression in in the yeah. new series. And then like I don't know. It's it's just there's not there's not enough there's not enough room to do as much of it as they want. So instead of not yeah. doing it so that they can build up other parts of the story, they use time that they should be spending on giving the doctor characters giving minor characters. Yeah. And it's like, I Not understand to... why you're doing this, but also I do want Jodie Whittaker to have something to get her teeth into from time Not to time. Not to keep talking about Star Trek on my Doctor Who podcast. No problem, no um, problem at all. Which I do enough that it's now in my Tinder bio. Yay. Um, just so people know what they're getting into if they talk to me. Um, there's something that they could have done more of in Voyager which is looking into Tom Paris not wanting to go back to Earth. I would yeah. love to have a companion whose motivation primarily is, I need out. I need yeah. to get rid of my surroundings. I have nothing left here. Whether that's like a tragedy, nothing left for me, or a decision of, I want more from this world than my situation has offered me. I think that's part of why Fitz goes with eight in the books. Because um, his yeah, mum dies. Fits, yeah. And then he's like, well, there's nothing for me, and everyone's really horrible to me, and I have a dead-end job, so I would prefer to go with you and then they fall in love and then some other complicated <laughs> shit happens that i don't understand <laughs> don't ask yeah. me about father kreiner i will never be able to explain it yeah but I, th- I think that might actually solve this problem of not of, of how who knew who doesn't do this as well but it also means that they will not have that that anchor cast that yeah. they do with the unit fam yeah i think that they need to they need to establish what the goal is each season where they're like mm. what do we how many supporting characters can we get in here because having three people on the tardis team is already enough characters yeah um, i think it's also like where are they in episode one where are they in the season finale what do we need to get there how do we cut everything else out Anyway, we were talking anyway. about the companions. <laughs> yeah, we had we had the Brigadier and we love the Brigadier and we want a Brigadier figure on New Who. The issue is that without an Earthbound storyline, you can't really have a Brigadier or a, a planet-bound storyline. Mm. Um, Unit Fam didn't get much to do this serial. Yates was in it from time to time. Benton gets to drive a car. Um, I think this might be why it feels so disjointed because there's so much focus on like Chin and the military and the Ministry of Defense. Yeah, but so little focus on the Unit Fam. It, the, the balance felt really weird. Yeah, it would be it would be more interesting, I think, if they ignored the regular army stuff and just had Unit get split against yeah. itself. Yeah, that would be really interesting. And yet they wouldn't do it. <laughs> Not until yeah. Invasion of the Dinosaurs, I think. <laughs> I think Shall it's Invasion we... of the Dinosaurs. Oh, I fucking anyway. love Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Who the heck are you? Well, I am usually referred to as the Master. Oh. 
our little vermin boy. Yes, our horrible little man. He is perfect. His entire design and aesthetic is flawless. He mm. looks like... I was reading something that said he looks like um, the hood from Thunderbirds. <laughs> Fuck. Oh god, he does. It's the outfit. The outfit is very like Bond villain and the hair and everything. Yeah. I think it plays into They're... certain slightly unfortunate tropes about like dodgy foreigners and Enid Blight. But Delgado mm. plays into it with such like care and affection for the role and, and a plot yeah. yeah that you you don't notice it as much as an element of the character it's just that he looks fucking cool and yeah. handsome and the eyeliner as well is yes oh my perfect. god we love roger delgado he originated this role he embodied this role and he is the influence for this role to this day and that's very good and it's it is deserved. actually looking at how much variation there is and how much of Master DNA is still linking straight back to Thalgarda's performance. Yeah, really telling. That I really want more Duan Master because I think he is fantastic, and I want oh, more of boy, it. Don't we all? He's so good, and it's like bring us more of it. And he has the tissue compression eliminator, so like, <laughs> which come was on. such a good call out. I loved it. It was so good. It was so good. Um, I need to get back to watching. I I'm trying to catch up on New Who. I promise. I'm just That's very fine. behind. <laughs> I just love to one master fine. and I want there to be like because obviously with Missy she was in it a lot as she was having her redemption arc. I kind of just want to have the master in it a lot and he doesn't have a redemption arc. He just turns up to bother the doctor again. <laughs> kind of hope that that's what happens next season because yeah. I mean you probably experienced spoilers up through the end of the most recent season. Um, oh yeah. The master having like the the voice being the na- the storyteller the narrator of this big twist about who the doctor is. Then maybe having him just showing up and being like, ha ha, I know who you really are. You're, you're in it. You're in a nature and basically demonizing and just turning out to be a nuisance. It's so much fun. Just yeah. nuis- nuisancing yeah. around like the doctor, like the doctor so the master long. always used to. Yeah, it's so long since we've had that. Like in all the short trips where the master just pops up to bother the doctor and then leaves, and you're like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes pretend to be santa at this party so good so good but yeah we already mentioned the sticky tape on the windows line it's very yeah. good Him, i just yeah. love that we hate each other but we need to work together vibe is always good yeah we hate each other but um <laughs> <laughs> uh, they just wander off in the tardis for a bit it's great like ah, uh, i mean that the the chemistry that Delgado has with pertwee is just I would. I feel unmatched. Like I love Davison and Ainley, and I love Tennant and Sims. Even though it kind of um, deteriorates, mm. <laughs> and obviously Capaldi and Gomez, which I think is probably the closest in tone to Delgado and Pertwee. Just probably, in the, yeah. The, in the, the nature kind of, of their relationship. Yeah, the best enemies thing, and the fact that they kind of tease each other. Um, yeah. And I think that Gomez is is reaching for something Delgado esque. Yeah, with, and with how oh she boy, acts. she's so good. She's so. She she's so, so showed good. up in the season one of the last episodes of DuckTales 2017 oh nice yeah they got all the Scottish people in it they did yeah all three Scottish actors yay Uh, yeah she is she's very very good Um, yeah yeah, he's just and I love that they never explain quite how he managed to end up knocking about with the axons he just kind of turns (laughs) up tied to the wall he's like yeah I tried to help them out with something and now they captured me and it's like oh master of course they did of course they fooled you (laughs) What did he expect to happen, really? 
Yeah, it's a real question. It's a real big question. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we just love Roger Delgado in this house. He's in he's in the first Frankly. ever Centurions movie for like two minutes, and every time I see it, I'm like, yeah, holy shit, he is. Yeah, Bell's of Centurions. He's, that he's like is. at the train station, seeing off the 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 little. Uh, it, yeah. it's a it's a deeply unfortunate movie in some respects. Many respects. On your knees, Doctor. Yeah, so um, we read some essays this week for the podcast. <laughs> Which we should probably do every week. We should. Um, we do our best. There's a fantastic essay um, in the Chickstick Time Lords um, anthology, which is sort of like a essay of women and women-aligned people writing about their experiences with every season of Doctor Who. Season 8's essay is by Amal El Mortar, who is known for This Is How We Lose the yes. Time Yes! Yes, okay, yes, yes, one yes. of my favourite books. It's fantastic. It's and now we've realised Dr. Master Coded. <laughs> Very Dr. Master Coded. Highly recommend. It's a novella and it's so good. It's really, um, really good. The essay she wrote for this anthology is called Reversing Polarities. Yes. So, ding, ding, of ding, course, ding, ding. we needed it in here. Has a lovely little quote in the context of discussing the, the reflection that the title Doctor and Master have on their relationship. So it talks a bit about their power dynamic and their um, how like the contract like some the doctor is bogged down in research, the master is out there having massive success in the private industry era, and it's very good. It's got this lovely quote: "Their titles also hit the power dynamic they have with each other. The master wants explicit control over the doctor, <laughs> but in spite of the multiple scenes of bondage that involve him wiggling phallic <laughs> objects at the doctor while tying him up, leaning over him while staring intensely into his eyes, or torturing him into a day's sweat, the doctor tops from the bottom." It's so good. Oh boy, it's, it's so, so on point. The, the 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 kinky undertone, so to speak. Oh, um, love it. And um, Elmota also did an essay in Queer Stig Time Lords, which is like a sequel and anthology of essays by uh fans or queer fans of doctor who i uh, did another article about the doctor and the monster <laughs> because we do yes. stands given how natural it feels to describe my relationship with subtext in terms of power exchange it should come as no surprise that what intrigues me the most about the doctor and the master's relationship is the way in which they repeatedly command and yield power over and to each other for sworn enemies who are out to destroy each other they spend a bemusing amount of time tying each other up and gazing intently into each other's eyes <laughs> it's so true it's not wrong it's so true is the thing um but yeah they're just very very on their game in this episode it's on their game yeah on their game um they as soon as they like encounter one another (laughs) it's just good i don't know if they even like when did they first like come face to face it's not until fairly far in must have been like episode three yeah it's certainly not for a while. And then they're like, let's work together to escape the Earth. And then it's obviously the Doctor is tricking the Master a little bit and gets him caught in a time loop. Maybe. Maybe. Um, because the time loop is extremely poorly defined. And also he doesn't, because in the next episode, the, the Master is back. Surprise. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's really good. What can we say? They just have the most ex- like electric, ecstatic chemistry as like a double act. And it's perfect. And I love when they get to spend time in the same scene, just like bantering I would i would watch a show that was just them yes absolutely but they're not the only bit of gay coded no <laughs> rep in this episode certainly not certainly not we've also got the doctor and do you want to do this one 
I mean, we can just talk about it generally, but yeah, the Doctor and his extremely long-suffering husband, the Brigadier. <laughs> I like, love this dynamic. Two and the Brigadier have a great dynamic in Web of Fear and in the Invasion, and then three literally crashes back into the Brigadier's life and spearhead from space, and from that point on, they are um, attached. Inseparable. Yeah, they're very, very sweet. It's like, they're best friends, even when they are extremely irritated with one another, or in some cases, like, incredibly angry at one another. And yet... Mm. They're just friends, and it's like, I just love it. Like, in the five doctors, when the, the brigadier and the second doctor interact once again, it's just lovely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's the best Can't chap he knows. The, five doctors. the best chap he knows, all oh. of them. It's just, they have this lifelong friendship that is so, so sweet, and he and three in particular have this really, mm. like, lovely camaraderie. Significant in, bond. Yeah. yeah, it's really, really nice. Um, it's like the doctor imprinted on him like a baby duckling when he woke up in the hospital. Basically. Um, that, you got the second person to use that phrase today. Oh. In the world? I love it. <laughs> Just ever. I, second person ever. Second person ever. It's a very, very good phrase. Um, but yeah, like, there's not as much of them in this serial. I do like when uh, the Brigadier says that he's personally responsible for the Doctor. I like to imagine that this means that the Doctor is, like, sleeping in the Brigadier's spare room. I know that he's really sleeping in the TARDIS, <laughs> but, like, in my heart, he's sleeping in the spare room. <laughs> Oh, I could just imagine them having, like, hot chocolates before bed yeah. together. Oh my god, I've got to write this fanfic. Anyway, <laughs> I already have a different extremely late birthday present for Aim in the works. What? Oh, is it the um, Kai Joe fanfic? Uh, no, it's a different one. The Kai Joe fanfic is difficult, so I started okay. working on something else. But yeah, uh, you have another suggestion here, which I find mm. intriguing. I would also like to propose that Master and the Brig have some wild chemistry. They, really um, they do. both know the Doctor. They both love the Doctor. They know they should both hate each other, but they're just drawn together. The way they interact, the way they talk to each other, is quite flirty in my yeah. my book. Gosh. I mean, it's not how I would choose to flirt, but it's still flirty. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I'm sure that on the extremely weird Doctor Who rare pair master list that I used to have a link to and have since found and lost about three or four times, there will be Master Brigadier fanfic. Mm. <laughs> What's up? Alistair Gordon Lethbridge Stewart slash you. <laughs> oh, classic slash fic. Oh, fuck. Oh, there's two. There are two of that. Anyway, the point is That's... that Master Brig is an intriguing proposition, and it makes it even funnier. And there's that he not pun- enough fic about it. It makes it very Sorry. funny that he punches him in Five Doctors <laughs> as just like we had tension, and you went and did this. <laughs> Alistair Gordon Lethbridge Stewart slash the Master. Dubious consent, dubious morality, dubious ethics, just generally dubious. Just generally dubious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put that as a placeholder title for this episode. Yeah, just generally dubious does make sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not the gayest episode in the world, aside from the Master and the Doctor being extremely in love um, and be- being very unhappy about it. Will these kids ever figure it out? I don't know. These crazy, crazy kids. Oh, sure. Lots of people. And there's a woman. A woman. A woman? Hey! We're our singular wife. Yes, we're in the TARDIS, attempting to link our TARDIS with Wife City. <laughs> She's just perfect. Men constantly tell Joe not to do something, and then she just goes, yeah, of course not, and then does it, and it's perfect. It's because she is perfect. She has spent all of her life being underestimated, so she just lets people underestimate her and gets shit done anyway, yeah. which is the best way to get it done. It's really good. It's really good. It's like, oh, you thought... 
you fucking underestimated me, you stupid little man. Well, take this. And then she like kicks them or whatever. And it's very, very good. Uh, She's got an excellent outfit. She's kind of considerate. And she makes friends with people so easily. And you're like, oh my God, I want to be friends, Joe. Can we be friends? I absolutely would love to be friends with her. I would love to be her wife. Yes, I think we've mentioned this before. I would love to meet her in a lesbian bar in Soho in the 1970s. That sounds kind of hilarious. Anyway, I think the issue with having Joe as our wife in these wife segments is that we have already on every Joe episode discussed in detail how much we fucking adore Usually her. because she's the only woman in yeah. the story. Yeah, that is a real issue with this period of Doctor Who. And it's insane because, like, you know, like, the time monster has, like, like two extra women. And you're like, yeah. oh, man, two extra women and a trans flying bird. I love this. <laughs> um, and then everyone else is like, oh, the time monster sucks. And I'm like, but it has Why? women in it. Um, oh it's because it's boring and doesn't make sense I guess that's true but it does have extra women in it it's fun today's science fiction so often becomes tomorrow's science fact do you want to do the first bit we have here yes so this is from a book by John Nathan Turner Oh, um, our baddest gay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but this is just because apparently Michael Ferguson, who directed this, as well as The Seeds of Death, um, allowed the cast to do one final run-through of each recording with no holds barred. <laughs> so they would play each scene with different accents, comic walks, funny noses, etc., which was great fun to watch. Amazing. And of course, John Pertwee reigned supreme with his amazing array of characters and voices. I wow. wish to I God... I wish there was footage of this. No, exactly. I want footage of this so badly. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it was that, it had a, and he also was a wonderful leading man and he knew everyone's name, uh, cameramen, sound technicians, everyone. And as I'm sure you can appreciate, this helped to create an excellent atmosphere on the set, which I think is lovely. Um, mm. and then they kind of talk about how, uh, the format of the unit era was successful, but it was also part of the progression of the show. So it has progressed beyond the need. <laughs> Society has progressed beyond the need for Earthbound Doctor Who. <laughs> unit. Yeah, I'm not, I, I probably agree with that one too. But yeah, so that was just yeah. from, uh, book that i found that was nice thank you uh but theo's already back so inside. Cl- <laughs> sensible it's not nice here either uh the clause of access was yeah. broadcast in march and april of 1971 um and got, got got a few facts about it i have not had the time nor the energy to watch many special features so i apologize for this being one of the less deep dives that is valid. happens life sometimes just finds a way to fuck your plans up um so the first scene where you have like the pulsating amoebic thing yes and has some really chills <laughs> like classical music over it um and this is because in stanley kubrick's 2001 a space odyssey which i've never seen i've seen about half um, an hour of it and i got okay. bored <laughs> i need to go back to it at some point yeah um they don't so tell you that a... the space sorry they don't tell you the space bit is like an hour in with you know i'm sorry dave oh. i'm afraid i can't do that before that it's all like non-verbal gorillas wandering around and you're like why is this happening i don't get it i was like 12 when i was trying to watch it in its defense so that uses strauss waltz um and by the early 70s that had sort of become the expected musical coding for space scenes so you ah. see a lot of space with nice classical music behind it which could sort of also again not to talk about star trek and the doctor who podcast again <laughs> could explain the, the the change in musical tone from the original series to the next generation and even the movies the movies tone it down a bit um the working titles for this story included doctor who and the gift the friendly invasion the axons 
and The Vampire from Space. I love that one. The last, yeah, I think it's my favourite. The last title was used through the production of the first two episodes. It was changed only by the time filming began on the third as the BBC wanted to avoid the word vampire. Maybe there was some kind of hammer, uh, hammer horror controversy at the time Probably or something. Probably was, yeah. Bob Baker and Dave Martin, the writers for this, originally pitched it as a seven-part story yikes featuring the second doctor <laughs> it involved evil aliens who land in hyde park in a skull-shaped spacecraft yes and featured spaceship battles and even a giant yes, yes, carrot yes, crashing yes, yes. into the park i mean this makes sense to me because bob baker helped write uh, wallace and gromit <laughs> curse of the were rabbit where there is a yeah. giant carrot um that crashes yeah. into the earth I'm glad that's an idea that has stuck with yes um, and so those two writers had never actually written for television before and they were they were quite new of it and obviously didn't quite understand how to write for an ensemble cast. And it took them a year of rewrites oh to get around this shooting script with a lot of um, oversight by Terence Dix. Um, this is also when the, the first time the interior of the TARDIS is seen since the War Games, oh, which is quite the cool. first colour yeah. version of the TARDIS. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, and also, Zedkar's actor, Bernard Yay. Holly, appears as the golden, lycra-clad Axon man and the uncredited voice of Axos. Intriguing. I still don't understand what Zedkar's is. I went out and watched three whole minutes of Zedkar's, because that's what's on the BBC <laughs> website. It is a police procedural <laughs> from, like, the 60s and 70s. I would not have guessed. I thought it was actually about cars. Yeah, I mean, it's because they're in, like, patrol cars that are called, like, Zedkar Victor or whatever. Um, I don't know why they're called huh. Zedkar Victor, but it's, like, the the assassination or appellation of the car is Zed something and they go around stopping bar fights over matches and stuff it's having watched about three minutes of it it's not very good but (laughs) maybe if I watched more I would change my tune for some reason it had always been in my head as being like a precursor to Pixar's Cars movies okay fair enough I think that's more like um um, Tugs yeah yeah Yeah, or Brum 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 Hey, oh, also Bernard Bernard Holly was in Tomb of the Cybermen. He was one of the dudes. <laughs> there are a lot of men in that story, <laughs> and <laughs> I remember their names <sighs> less and less every passing day. No, we'd all go, except Miss Shaw. Oh, just a minute! I'm not going to miss all. No, Miss Shaw. Have you never heard of female emancipation, Liz? This time, I think he's right. Uh, why is the front half of the story basically pointless? I don't know, but I. No, I would have enjoyed the last half more if I hadn't just sat through the first half. They either need to get further in with the Axonite dispersals earlier, or they need to change Mm. the focus to be more about the Master and the Doctor considering their alliance to escape. So apparently the Master was one of the late additions to the script yeah. because they disliked him so much. And it's sort of, I he, he enhances every scene he's in, but yes. he's also obviously a late addition. Yeah, he kind of just pops up as a guy that Phyla sees and he doesn't actually need to help Phyla. Phyla could probably have figured out how to escape on his own given that he still has his gun. Yep. But yeah, it's, you know, the stuff that he does is stuff the Doctor could have done. Mm. Um, it probably was stuff the Doctor did in the first script. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I think it just, it, I, as I say, it either needs to be longer or it needs to shift the story back about two episodes mm. and have it go further before they get stuck in this time loop that is really confusing. Maybe just have an entire episode set in the time loop yes. and really explore what that's like. He says, I love the way that the Doctor explains the time loop. Um, it's perfectly simple, Brigadier. A time loop is... Uh, <laughs> 
Well, it's a time loop. One passes continually through the same points in time. Passes through the same... Yes. Well, the Axons said they wanted time travel and now they've got it. It's like in Time Monster where he makes this insane machine with the tea teacups and, you know, forks and spoons and stuff and attempts to explain it to the Brigadier and the Brigadier is like, I do not have time for this bullshit. Yeah, which is... It's a lovely little scene. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the... Axel yes so i'm intrigued by this is more like a discussion of sci-fi trends at the time i'm intrigued by the presentation of the axons as a single organism which can appear as multiple independent organisms um because i read the minute cuckoos like two weeks ago um which if anyone doesn't know is it's a book by john Wyndham who wrote day of the triffids and other stuff and it's what village of the damned is based on both the original film and the remake by john carpenter um who in case you didn't know made this other film (laughs) in 1982 okay but no um so village of the damned or the midditch cookies the book is about a strange occurrence in a town called midditch in England, where everyone falls unconscious for a day who is inside the bounds of the village. And when they wake up the next day, although they don't realise it for a while, all of the women of childbearing age are pregnant. Um, and huh. they all they all carry the children to term and then have them. And then, like two of the babies are like human. And then the rest of the babies are these weird, identical male or female alien babies, essentially. And then it kind of builds up over the course of their childhood that they're like telepathic. And all of the boys, if they learn, if one of them learns something, all the boys can do it. And all of the girls, if, they, if one of them could do something, all of the girls could do it. And they kind of um, intuit from this that the boys are a single organism in 30 bodies and the, the girls are also a single organism in 30 bodies. Um, like a what? like a hive mind. Um, okay. And then later on, like in the film, they just make it so all the children are one organism rather than having sexual dimorphism with weird aliens. I don't want to spoil the book because I think that it is worth reading, even though I only gave it two stars on Goodreads because of the imperialism. <laughs> it goes into the kind of theoretical advantages and disadvantages of being one single organism spread over 30 bodies. Um, mm. And having like, they have like, you know, essentially moderate telepathic control over humans in the sense that they can okay. make them do stuff. Like, for example, uh, shoot themselves or oh my God. stick okay. their hand in boiling water because they accidentally gave their child some food that was too hot so it's kind of this retaliation thing but i just thought that was an interesting kind of uh comparison to make with axos where they are all part of this one like single organism and have one mind together because whenever later on in the story when the humans have figured this out the children the alien children just dispense with the pretense of being different people and have this really weird extremely long and complicated conversation with one of the humans that's just about like why they are doing what they do and it is not the best written part of the book, I would say. Not the most naturalistic dialogue, but um, it is an interesting step in science fiction and sci-fi horror to have kind of the thinking antagonist, mm. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I have uh, one of my friends has a like ongoing rant that science fiction doesn't make enough of hive minds. So next time they bring that up, I will try and recall this conversation. Yeah, I think, yeah, hive minds need more... Like, the Borg and stuff really needs more explanation yeah. exploration. Yeah, though. or more diversity. Yeah, just just think of new ways of doing it. Yeah, you know? yeah, would agree. And what's this okay. assy about vaguely anti-monopolist sentiments? Well, the Doctor is very annoyed, not only by the distribution <laughs> of Axonite, but also specifically that Chin has agreed to only have the British government control. Which, it. you know, I, 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 I've got to say, 
I'm with the doctor here. Yeah, we need to be... If we're going to be distributing this weird stone soup thing, everyone deserves some of it. Not just crusty old washed up imperialists who wish that they were still killing natives in Rhodesia or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have been... I think if I were restructuring the story, I would have lent into that perspective more. Yeah. And made those comparisons significantly starker. It's definitely something that needs more thought. And also, like... I think the threat of the Exxons needs to be explored more in the story because it feels like they kind of turn up, they go, oh, hey, the doctor goes, oh my God, they're going to consume the whole planet. <laughs> and at no point does the new, does the knowledge of that threat go any further than Unit HQ, which is a triumph of yeah. Unit's uh, hushing up capabilities. <laughs> I think it's also, if you are making your threat the destruction of the entire world, yeah. everything else needs to exist at that um, level of peril. Yeah, Which absolutely. it doesn't, and it's quite imbalanced. It's... It's it's something that needed more consideration, and it was their first TV script, so they thought, oh, this is great, we've got all the explanation in, but the issue is that all the explanation is at the end of the story. Hi, Theo. Yeah, and then we have a last point over here, which you might want to show. Oh, yes. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so I'm never actually a massive fan of military-esque stories, but I think this is a good time as any to discuss. Is UNIT pro-military propaganda? Uh, hell yeah, let's dive into this, is what I said. I actually found a bit in Inside the TARDIS which talked about this. Ooh. At least in the sense of... Oh, interesting. At least in the sense of whether the stories are pro-military. Um, which mm. I don't necessarily agree with. <laughs> but basically, it discusses about how uh, some people criticised the early 1970s Doctor Who for turning the Doctor into an establishment figure because Hartnell and Troughton mm. were so anti-establishment in their general bearing mm. and adventures. Um, and then it says this Were criticism they? is largely unfair. <laughs> um, okay. The Doctor's relationship with the establishment is constantly problematized, and he is often in conflict with both the military and the civilian authorities. In Doctor Who and the Silurians, for example, he deplores the Brigadier's decision to respond to the unknown with a display of armed force. That's typical of the military mind, isn't it? Present them with a new problem and they start shooting at it. Indeed, his relationship with the Brigadier is edgy at first. In Spearhead from Space, the Brigadier does not initially believe that the Doctor is the same person he met during the Yeti and Cyberman emergencies. Understandably. Yes, and it takes a while for a genuine friendship to develop. Politicians and civil servants fare no better. The ubiquitous men from the Ministry are invariably characterised as pompous, interfering and incompetent. Furthermore, a recurring theme is that establishment characters, government ministers and generals, for example, are not to be trusted. Several stories, including the Ambassadors of Death and Invasion of the dinosaurs feature conspiracies in high places. The conspiracy thriller was voguish in the 1970s, exemplified by films such as The Parallax View and The Internecine Project, a trend that is usually related to the Watergate scandal that brought about the downfall of US President Richard Nixon. Britain had its own share of political scandals during these years, the most serious being the resignation of Home Secretary Reginald Maudling in 1972 over allegations of corruption. The Doctor is so frequently in conflict with authority indeed that it is entirely misleading to regard him as an establishment figure. Rather like Professor Quatermass, he is something of a loose cannon. His scientific knowledge makes him useful to the authorities, but he is distrustful of them as they are of him. Um, Interesting. And then it goes on to talk about how the early 1970s Doctor Who could be argued to be the most critical of British society because it is set, I think we've talked about this before, because it's Mm. set in the UK, it is able to present a non, like, metaphorical, like a literal version of what is happening in the UK and go, hey, this is kind of fucked up. Um, yeah, do we need to do something about this? Yeah, a recognition of the decline of British power informs the clause of Axos, in which the ostensibly friendly Axons offer a mineral that they claim will solve all the world's food and energy shortages. Their secret plan to drain the earth of its energy is nearly foiled, however, when a career-minded civil servant attempts to secure sole use of the Axonite for the British government. Mm. Yeah, that's not interesting. Yeah, okay. That's not so much to do with whether the unit is a military power. I think that they are military. I just don't know that the stories presents them in a way that is 
uh, fetishistically militaristic. Yeah, uh, so I'm never sure where I stand on this. It's something I'm like, is this is this an okay thing? Is this um, because is it propaganda? <sighs> is anything that Pastrana use anything? I think it feels different because then unit is never invading they're responding to invasion which i think is in its own way uh, that's true actually, possible yeah. to problematize because it's like oh no our pure unsullied english isles are being invaded by these weird looking creatures um but i don't think yeah. that was an intentional uh effect it was just how sci-fi was reflecting imperialist attitudes like how the midish cuckoos is about an yeah. invasion of weird looking foreigners into yeah. midish i don't know it's 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 definitely one that needs to be discussed i think that it interestingly contrasts to Remembrance of the Daleks when they have the countermeasures group where they're just shooting things mm. like willy-nilly. And I don't know that UNIT does that as much. Um, not least because the budget no, was a lot lower. Not as much. <laughs> the budget for explosions <laughs> was lower. Um, but their response is always one of force. Yes. So there's their, rarely... Their plan's always one of force. The Doctor tries to um, be a diplomat and then often UNIT will just go in and blow it up and the Doctor is extremely angry at them for it, which is what happens in the Silurians. Yeah, that's true. Um, I don't know. That's Tweet true. us what you think about uh, the Yeah, it's a tricky one. I don't have an answer unit. other than I just have lots of thoughts. Because it's not, yeah. it's not um, the proper army, so to speak. Um, it feels different even when it's not necessarily actually that different. Yeah, I, I think it's also like what is whatever military-ish media was there out at that like com- contemporarily. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it um, would be Dad's like, army type stuff. Yeah, what was going on in the seven? I mean, like it says, it was the age of the conspiracy thriller. I don't know that war movies were quite so popular. When in were seven. War, what was war the deer hunter? Because like this was around the time of Vietnam, right? So there was a lot yeah. of disillusionment with at least the American yeah. armed forces. I, for my sins, don't know Sorry. much about perception of British military in that. I time. always forget that the Vietnam War was going on for like twenty years. Really, just. Wow. Um, good job, America. Good job, America. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of my thoughts on it. It's difficult to litigate fully on our fun Doctor Who podcast about how Doctor Who is gay. <laughs> yeah, it's just a talking point I thought I would, would raise because it's something that, especially when they're more like at the army barracks and in the army base. Yeah. And the coding is just completely there. Yeah, definitely. But yeah. Anyway. Let me get this straight. A thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard, it can move anywhere in time and space? Yes. Right, sir. But that's ridiculous. I was going to have a long thing about the dematerialization circuit, but now I think that the recording has gone too long. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's obvious we're tired. Yeah, we are a bit tired. But yeah, so basically I was oh going to talk about the history of the dematerialization circuit. As I understand it, this is the first mention of it being like an actual circuit, so to speak. Like in various other parts of Doctor Who canon earlier, they had bits of the TARDIS break, like the chameleon circuit and like mm. in... Uh, the Daleks, where the Doctor's like, oh no, we need to go and get some mercury for the fluid link, <laughs> because he wants to go out and explore Scaro's surface. Um, but it was the, do- the the Time Lords removing his knowledge of dematerialization that revealed that there was a circuit that did it, did it to begin with, I think. Obviously then it was okay. uh, retconned so that he had always had one in the TARDIS. Um, for example, there's an audio called The Beginning where the First Doctor removes it so that this guy that they've been that they've seen couldn't steal the ship and return to Gallifrey with it. And then in okay. Daughter of the Gods, which I really want to listen to in full, because I've listened to the first episode and it was so good. The first and second Doctor, they their TARDISes collide and both of their circuits burn out, so they have to make new ones. Um, then there's a different audio called Walls of Confinement, where the third Doctor takes part of it to the zoo with the Brigadier's godson, Albert. <laughs> 
Um, and then there's like a confusing thing about his TARDIS escaping Gallifrey and then it crash lands and steals someone else's dematerialization circuit. It's a weird one. Um, then we also have the fact that the Axons did not return to the expanded universe after this until 2011 in a Doctor Who magazine. Oh comic, boy. Which is insane. I wonder what like the longest break between like appearance and then expanded universe appearances. I think it's that's 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 I think it actually wild. I think that actually might be it. I think that might be the longest That's 40 one. years. Yeah. Weird that they didn't um pop up during the wilderness years but yeah and then it's it's set in japan and it's uh the the axons have set up a drinks company <clears throat> which turns people into axons the drink turns them into axons i guess okay, um, okay. i did not read it that makes because that sense. feels like it would take a lot of time um <laughs> and then they have a sixth doctor audio called the feast of axos uh which has evelyn smythe in it thanks thank god um, we love her. Also, it has uh, yes. Bernard Holly in it as Axos, which oh, is pretty nice. Cool. That's cool. Yeah, and then it was the first uh, appearance of the Axos in performed Doctor Who since 1971, so a 40 year absence. Wow. What happened in the early 2010s that everyone was like, we just need the Axons back? I think they realised that they were like running out of classic Doctor Who uh, monsters to bring back, and they were like, which ones are the most visually striking that haven't come back? It's the Axons, because other <laughs> than that, the choice is like yeah. the Zabi, <laughs> um, yeah. the really big. <laughs> cat from planet of giants which is actually just a normal sized cat that <laughs> looks big you know there's there's not many options um but yeah so no. those are those are like the, the 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 two appearances of the axons and then we have our short trip of the week which is Yay! in short trips this is my favorite part yes. of the week short trips companions it is called hidden talent by andrew spokes um it is about a talent contest that has been set up and all of the people who are eliminated from the contest are mysteriously disappearing. Um, so the doctor gets Joe into the contest <laughs> by oh no. some sort of trickery. Um, she goes up as like an audience member who's invited to participate and she wins that vote or whatever. And then she t- takes part and she's singing and dancing and having a great time. Uh, but it nice. turns out some people are calling the doctor her dad, which is the funniest thing <laughs> in the world. Um and they'll probably be both be very offended by that implication. But yeah, so they're like, you know, trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. And then they're wandering around. They get into the director of the uh, the TV show's office. And it turns out, dun, 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 it's the master. Is it the master? Because <laughs> it's the title. The title of the, um, the show is Make Me a Star, which he <laughs> points master. out. He points out is AKA Master, <laughs> which is astonishing beautiful but yeah so they, they do this and the doctor and joe save the day uh, but they realize that all of the missing people had been killed and tissue compression eliminated into dolls because they found that terrifying yeah, i hate it they found that there had been like little doll replicas made of the people who disappeared um and it turns out that the master is planning on um unraveling the, the thread the threads of time by having all the contestants on this show sing songs that haven't been recorded yet like fame <laughs> is one of them from the movie musical fame um which is just very funny to me and he's going to take the winner across the universe and enthrall loads and loads of uh you know of of, of planets with like Beatlemania, but for this guy called so Chris. basically yesterday but with Doctor Who twists. Yes, yes. I enjoyed um, that film. It wasn't good, but I enjoyed it. That's fair enough. Yeah, so they, they, they're doing that. But the thing that really struck me about it, because it's a very cute story and I enjoyed it and I thought it was very fun. But what really struck me is that when Joe and the Doctor 
are sat tied up together in a storage cupboard, as they often are. They're having a conversation <laughs> about being famous. And Joe says, um, I suppose if you do ever become famous, you have to make the most of it while it lasts. Then you've always got the memories, haven't you? That's how I'll probably feel about my time with you. The doctor turned his head Aww. towards her, but Joe was daydreaming and failed to see the doleful look on his face. I hope you'll have the memories, Joe, he said. What do you mean? I didn't tell Aww. you about Jamie and Zoe, did I? No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Oh. That's why I put the note that just says, oh. oh God. He never told That's... her about Joey and Zit. I can't speak. Zit. Zoe and Jamie. Jamie and Zoe. It's so painful. And I. Oh, oh my God. I just. Can we please just rescue Jamie and Zoe from their horrible yes. fate? Oh. Yes, we can. With our fanfic and goodwill. That's so true. But yeah, that it's it's a really fun short story and it's got lots of fun like comedic moments and there's some good Doctor Joe Master banter. Like Joe and the Master are just chatting and the Doctor like interjects and they both turn and are like, Oh, I didn't notice you were there, sorry. <laughs> um But yeah, short EU segment because nice. I was tired and didn't do extensive research. But I do recommend the short story, it's a fun one. Um same co- same collection as the lying old witch in the wardrobe. <laughs> Great, I just love that title. Yeah, it's very good. <sighs> right, shall we shall we scoot on over to the rankings before we have naps? Absolutely. We start with our X of the week where we select any category to do with the cereal and we say what the best thing in that category was. My X of the week is eyebrows. Yeah. Roger Delgado's eyebrows are really They're good. They're really fucking good. Really, really fucking good. Yeah. Mine is uh, scathing commentary on mutually assured destruction of the week with the doctor talking yes. about putting sticky tape on the windows which is for anyone who's not aware the um, british government handed out these protect and survive leaflets that were just like advice about what to do in the event of nuclear attack and it was like put sticky tape on the windows and go and hide under a mattress by your stairs um, aka you're gonna die yeah yeah but you know they they did that and if you've ever seen the 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 television thing that they produced in the event that they ever actually had to broadcast it it's fucked up and scary i have yeah it's really unnerving more scary than most of the horror films i don't know it was on like this fucking two like channel four thing called like 100 greatest scary moments and i had to skip past it when i was watching it i was like no 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 um Six Degrees of Blake Seven. Uh, it's quite an easy one this week. We've already mentioned that this actor is not American. He is Welsh. Uh, Paul Grist, who played Bill Filer, played Sevidic Sevidic in the Blake Seven episode Gambit, which I think we've mentioned before. I can't remember which episode. Um, it may be the one that was filmed in a shopping centre in Guildford. Can't be 100% <laughs> sure, as I say. But yeah, so we've got a Blake Seven degree of one, which I was very pleased with. It was the first actor on IMDb that I clicked on. <laughs> Oh, the fates were smiling on you today. Yeah, I'm still working up the courage to continue watching Blake Seven because I'm just like it is. It is grim. It's very good, but it, it is, is very grim. Um, I need to like remind myself that this the outfits are hysterical. Like the outfits are just so funny. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's very similar to Italy's Eurovision winning outfits. If you insist, <laughs> I haven't I seen do. them and I won't. Okay, so out of five, what are you ranking this episode at five? Uh, something probably like like a two point five out of five. Mm. Um, two point five um, golden lycra skin suits out of five. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say um, three 
overly um overly damp spaceships out of five because <laughs> i do yeah. i do like it because it has all the characters that i like in it having fun so i'm like yes the master yeah. and the doctor and joe and the brigadier yeah it doesn't quite have enough tying it together it has quite a high rating on letterbox which i'm always surprised by i think because the third okay. doctor zero is seen very fondly um but then that's true of most doctor who where i'm like i don't understand why people are giving this a high rating but maybe people are just fond of it for no reason yeah. um but yeah, that's my my three out of five. Let's put it on the ranking. I... So as a Do you want to try and guess where my mouse is hovering? Yeah, as a reminder to the listener, our number one serial is Remembrance of the Daleks, and our number twenty three currently is the Twin Dilemma. I think this is going to go above Mordred Undead and below the Rescue for aim. <laughs> is that correct? Oh no! Where are you putting it? I'm down on either side of the time monster. Ooh. Yeah. You, I think I just can't remember. I couldn't. I forgot that you didn't hate Mortal and Dead as much as I thought you did. Um, oh, Mortal and Dead itself was very good. It's just the bastard. <laughs> okay, I think if we're putting it down there, I would put it between Time Monster and Destiny because I find Time well, yeah, Monster has that. more insane, fun stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, that's very um, true. Once again, I did not read the novelization. This time, it's because I was busy. <laughs> um, I was very busy. <laughs> Even though we haven't recorded in <coughs> a while. We haven't recorded in a while because we've been busy and we've run out of energy to record yeah, with. let's find it. The Mighty 200, Gallifrey yes. Matrix Wiki. Where do we think the Clause of Axis is on the I Mighty I think it's going to be in the 40s. The 40? 43. I'm going to say 125. I'm going to say 125. And then it'll be somewhere in the middle. Right. Dun, dun, dun. Ah, Axos. 129. Yes! Good job. Yes, baby. I just sort of learnt that the Doctor Who magazine rankings and me don't agree. So <laughs> if I don't like something, I assume it's going to be high. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but no, so that's above Revenge of the Cybermen and below Death to the Daleks and The Rescue. I think The Rescue is significantly better than Axos. Um, not least because it's only two episodes and also because it's the perfect companion introduction story. Yes, I would agree with you there. Elite. So I think that's it. Huh. We made it. Dear listener, I hope you've had an absolute blast. Um, Thank you for tuning in to Reversing Polarity. Please do check us out on Twitter at PolarityPod or Tumblr at PolarityPod.tumblr.com. And if you want to follow us as people, you can find me at Aim Tell Stories. That's A-Y-M Tell Stories. And Rosie is at Dot Sayers. It's short for Dorothy. (laughs) Are you actually Dorothy Sayers reincarnated? No, um, but I do love Lord Peter Whimsy very much. I know. Um, we'll be back next week or we'll be back next time (laughs) when we'll be discussing the power of the Daleks